Right, as you're aware that we are gradually moving through the readings of the John's Gospel. Um, we come to uh, chapter 13. We'll be seeing both chapter 13 and chapter 14 this morning. Um, I'm going to invite Sarah McAndrew to come and read the first part of chapter 13. Good morning. Jesus washes his disciples' feet. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped round him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him And that was why he'd said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. The chapter continues. Am I on? The chapter continues with Jesus predicts his betrayal. I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill this passage of scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I am telling you now before it happens. So that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. And whoever accepts me, accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another, at a loss to know which one of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. 
Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then, dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Jesus, Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, What you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as Jesus had t- Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself, and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told you to the Jews, uh, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we now pray for Nick as he comes to give us a first part of his sermon this morning. Lord, lead him and guide him. Amen. Thanks, John. We're doing something a little bit unusual, as you will have realised if you've been here in previous weeks. We're trying to read as much of John's Gospel as we can on Sunday mornings in the run-up to Easter. Um, And so we're going to try and read John 13 and 14 this morning. And we're looking particularly at the I Am signs. But then there's another problem. When you get to this, uh, this reading and you get to I Am the Way and the Truth and the Life... You can't really divorce it. Sorry, I've done the wrong thing. I'll put that back. You can't really divorce it from the rest of the chapter. So I'm just changing this because I want to show you a little video. If I can get the right thing. There we go. So we're going to split the sermon into two. Um, We're going to look at John 13. Uh, We're going to come back to John 14 in a minute. But here's here's just a little... um, video to uh, intrigue you. Reserve some for the foundlings. As it should always be, 
The foundlings are the future. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. Now, you see, you can't see any of that at all, can you, because it's so dark. Uh, it comes from the Mandalorian. Show it again, Ian. Uh, listen, re listen really carefully, and particularly to the last bit. I don't think that's going to help much, but we'll try it again. Reserve some for the foundlings. As it should always be. The foundlings are the future. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. Has anyone watched The Mandalorian on TV? A, a small smattering will understand what I'm talking about this morning, and the rest of you will look amused. But let me tell you, it's a Star Wars spin-off, and The Mandalorians come from the planet Mandalore, um, as you might already have guessed. Um, and at least some of them, they abide by a creed. And in the program, it's called a creed with a, a capital C, which includes looking after the foundlings. That's what was going on there. Um, he brought her some of the special metal which the Mandalorians have, um, and she's going to reserve some of it for the foundlings. They look after orphans. That's part of their creed. Another part of their creed is they never take their helmets off, which I can't quite understand because that must make life incredibly awkward. But there you go. But when they do something according to their creed, whether it be something that pains them or something that they rejoice in, they say, this is the way. And the response is, this is the way. Thank you. Which I quite like. Jesus says, I am the way. What does he mean? Can we have the um, PowerPoint up now? There we go, next one. Jesus says, I am the way. Sermon notes are on the window sills are down here if you want them. What does he mean? There are two sides, I think, to that statement. In the same way that if you said to somebody next to you, this is the way we walk, it could have two meanings. You could be saying to them, this is, this is the path um, on which we walk. This is the route um, that we are going. Or it could mean, this is the way. This is the way we walk. This is the way we move our arms and our legs. And if you live with a physio, you learn that some people can recognize others by the way they walk. Their gait. That's what they call it. It's a technical term. So Jesus is the way. This is the way. He's the road upon which we walk, and he's the manner in which we walk it. And I want to take the second of those first. It's on the next slide. So there's a lot in these chapters, if you bear this thought, there's a lot in these chapters about the way we walk. And it starts with Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And he says to them that he is their teacher and their Lord, as he is ours, and yet he washes their feet. It's the job of the lowliest slave. And the message is clear. It is impossible to rise to a place in the kingdom of God where you are above washing feet. Is that straightforward? You cannot rise above that responsibility. Washing feet is everyone's job. What are the lowest jobs in church? Moving chairs. Later on. 
clearing out the tower with all the dust, digging out the soak away. That's got a class as one of the more disgusting jobs. Clearing dead leaves from the top of the youth hall. Yes, as long as they're acts of service for your brothers and sisters in Christ, out of love and concern, not out of frustration that you're the only one who seems to have noticed. Because Jesus goes on in the chapter to make really clear, these acts of lowly service are acts of love. A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. So it's not just about lowly acts, but it's acts of lowliness for and before Christ, for your brothers and sisters. So we are, as Christians, to love one another to the extent that we're prepared to encounter other people's toenails. Metaphorically, or maybe not metaphorically. And that kind of love demonstrates that we are Jesus' disciples. That's patent, isn't it? Vice versa, if we are not prepared to meet other people's athlete's foot, then we are putting ourselves above Christ. This is the way. Oh, you, you missed it. This is the way. This is the way, thank you. So the second part of the way is being washed by Jesus. Peter, of course, wants to be super holy. You shall never wash my feet. I am always less than you, Peter says. And at that point, Jesus changes the metaphor subtly. If I don't wash you, you have nothing to do with me or me with you. And Jesus has, has, has changed the subject just slightly, which is to, about being cleansed now from moral dirt. If you, like Peter, are going to be a Christian, you have to let Jesus wash you to cleanse you by dying in your place primarily. More on that in a moment. But Peter, I think, not understanding straight away, says, then wash the rest of me too. I want to be all yours. Peter, he's either ahead of the game or he's behind the game, isn't he? Bless him. But Jesus, sticking with his metaphor, which is about the moral washing clean that, that, that Jesus accomplishes by going to the cross, tells Peter that he's already clean. He's saved by grace through faith. He's already clean because he's trust in Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And in future, then he's not going to need a, a bath as such, but he will need to come and confess. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. There will be moments where we fail again and again and again. We don't come back for a bath, God. We're, we're clean in the main. We're cleansed by Christ, but we need to come and bring these... Slip-ups are lack of love moments to confession. So, this is the way. Yeah, you see, I think we could adopt this. You're getting the, you're getting the hang already. 
So next time, next time you're sweating over chairs later on, and you're pushing things, and instead of going, look at the other people and go, this is the way. Yeah? We do this together out of love for our church family, modeled on the service of Jesus. That's what it means. Or next time you're putting the dirty nappies in the bin because somebody uh, our buggies and bikes has forgotten to do it, or you're picking up uh, somebody elderly, or, or whatever it might be, and they thank you instead of going mumbling something, <laughs> it's okay, oh, it's my privilege, you could go, this is the way. And we will understand if you say that, that you're saying it's a demonstration of my love for you in and for Jesus. Because we're English, we don't say that, but you might just say this is the way and we would understand you. What do you reckon? I'll tell you what, some of you will try it out. I know that for sure. But there's more to this way. And it's about being made vulnerable. So we walk in slave-like love for one another because that's the example Jesus set. But more than that, if you are a Christian and you're in a church family, you love those who you're pretty sure are going to betray you sooner or later. It's what Jesus does. Love opens you up to betrayal. It's inevitable. This is the way. And if you're going to be a Christian, you're going to love those who you know are good-hearted, but who you equally know will bite off more than they can chew and will fall over their own feet and will put you in an awkward position. They will stick their foot in their mouth and they will insult you accidentally or intentionally. Like Peter. Love opens you up to the impact of other people's stupidity. There is no way around it. To protect yourself is to put you above your master Jesus. This is the way. And actually this is the way of glory, Jesus said. And uh, in the Uncover John group, we, there was this little quote about what glory means. In the Hebrew scriptures, glory refers to the, to the visible manifestation of God, usually in the form of radiance and splendor. That was a little comment in the Uncovered John. We were doing that on Thursday night. I'll say that again. In the Hebrew scriptures, glory refers to the visible manifestation of God, usually in the form of radiance and splendor. And I tell you what, that ceases to help us here when we get into the Gospel of John. In, gospels, in John's Gospel, glory is close to revelation. See, Jesus says, once Judas was gone, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. And contrary to the Uncovered Book, there is no radiance. There is no Splendor, as we would imagine it, about to be shown. The Son of Man is glorified. He shows his glory by hanging on a cross. That's glory. That's Christian glory. 
the glorious, self-giving, self-sacrificing, self-abasing, human being-loving nature of God, Father and Son with their distinct roles in it, is shown by the Son obediently taking on human flesh and being nailed to a piece of wood. This is glory. And this is the way. For the Father and Son to be glorified, which is what Jesus says happens, for their respective characters to be revealed as to a sender, an obedient one, Son goes to a cross. For more details, go to Philippians 2. So, it's going to come and read as John 14. John 14. Jesus comforts his disciples. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. <clears throat> My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. So how can we know the way? <coughs> Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, Show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even, I have, even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father? and that the Father is in me. The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, 
and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. <clears throat> then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. <coughs> Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. So Jesus is the, the way we walk. Jesus is the way. If we can work our way through to that slide. We pattern ourselves on him Jesus is the way we walk along the road, but he is also the road on which we walk. Or to use a picture Jesus has already used, he is the gate through which he enters. So Jesus says he goes away to prepare a place for his followers. How, what does he mean by going? He means he's going to a cross. And he means he's ascending to his father's side. And by doing so, he opens the gate. For us to follow that same road with him. 
He prepares a place by pioneering the route. The gate was shut because of our failure to love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's the definition of sin. And actually, I think that's really helpful. And I think youth leaders, um, you should note this, and Sunday club leaders, um, quite often we're coming, we're, we're getting to a point where we're teaching kids or maybe we're teaching adults and we're just trying to say what is sin and we're trying to say that sin is being bad and then people think, well, I'm not as bad as all those other people. And actually, it, to sin is, is, is not on some sliding scale of, of good or bad. It's to not be like Jesus. So I think it's really helpful to remember this definition. Definition of sin is, is to do anything other than love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And to sin is to do anything other than love your neighbor as yourself. By those two definitions, then it's clear that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So at Sainsbury's, I was kind of take, quite taken by surprise. Um, the other day, I was using the self-checkout and merrily walking off in my shopping, and dumpf, there's a gate. Um, and it was closed against me. Have you, have you discovered this? Um, and you have to, yeah, you have to get, you have to get your receipt out and you have to scan your receipt um, to, to prove that you've paid for your shopping. It's like that. Heaven is barred to you. Okay, unless you've got the receipt. Proof of payment. And the payment is Jesus' perfect life laid down in a, in a sacrificial death. That is the payment. And you need to be carrying the receipt. Which is to say, I have trusted in Jesus, that he is God, he is the Lord, and I'm trusting that he died in my place on the cross. And when you've trusted in Christ, then you're holding the receipt and the gate opens. Jesus is the way in the second sense. This is the way. Are you giving up now? And to ask when you pray in Jesus' name is again to pray holding the receipt. And the gate, as it were, to, to prayer, to God's ear, is opened to you. So this is the way, in two senses. But what about the truth and the life? And I want to suggest that these come as a package, and I guess the more I go on, I wonder whether the way, the truth, and the life uh, are threefold description relates to the Trinity, but that's probably a study from somebody much cleverer than I. But the way is to love like Jesus and to trust that Jesus has covered our love failures, but we cannot separate these three things, the way, the truth, and the life. Because Jesus says, um, John 14, verse 15, if you love me, keep my commands. So there is a way and there is a truth. There is a truth about who Jesus is. There is a truth about the way he lives. And the way is to obey his commands. So way and truth go together. And maybe that's so obvious to us that we don't even notice that way and truth go together. But it's also true that true, uh, truth and life go together. And they go together in the person of the Holy Spirit. So I want us for a moment to pick through what this passage says about the Trinity. I would dare you to go and read this again and, and see what this says about our God who is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And yet one God, one being. 
Because there were some amazing statements in here. So verse 7. The Father is in the Son and the Son is in the Father. Jesus says, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. Isn't that an astonishing statement? From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So someone once said that Nathan and I are basically the same person. Okay, Nathan is our eldest son, but it's not true. And Nathan can't say this. If you've seen me, you've seen my father. Well, we are quite similar. But you can't say anything along that regard. And yet Jesus says the father is in the son, and the son is in the father to the extent that Jesus says, when I speak to you, it is the Father living in me doing his work. That's an astonishing statement, isn't it? So the two are in one another. They are real, distinct persons, and yet they are in one another to the extent that if you know one, Jesus says, you know the Father as well. And then beyond that, Jesus says, verse 16... If you love me, I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. There's a third person to the Trinity. He is the Holy Spirit. And let's remember, first of all, to call him he and not it, because he is another advocate. He is Jesus' replacement. He is a person as much as Jesus is a person and we don't have time to go into detail but Jesus calls him an advocate and typically an advocate was a kind of helper in a courtroom or a legal situation and I don't think that's really the meaning here I think the uh, the word itself parakletos means someone called alongside and I think actually that's quite a that has merit The Holy Spirit is one called or actually sent by Jesus to be with us and alongside us. Jesus says he will will live with you and be in you. I'll not leave you as orphans. I will come to you, he says. And yet then he says it's the Holy Spirit who will come. So the Holy Spirit will be the presence of Jesus in us and, uh, and with us. And then he says, because I live, you also will live. So he says, as I ascend from death to the Father, I will ask him and I will send the Holy Spirit to you. This is life. To have your own spirit renewed by God, in Ezekiel's terms, that's to have a new heart, turn to God and tune to God, made receptive to his working and to his character, and then to have the Holy Spirit of God living in you and working in you to live and work to his praise and glory. I haven't got time to dig into this this morning. But people without Christ are like, I want to suggest, this is a very poor illustration, but I couldn't come up with anything better, People without Christ are like phone owners whose mobile phones are broken and they live in an area where the phone signal is patchy. They get really poor 3G. Okay. 
In, in other words, both the broadcasting and the receiving are, are not functioning. Non-Christians, they have the revelation of creation, and that's enough to tell them that God exists and he's powerful. But that's all they have. And Christians are like people with the most modern phone. The device is on and ready, and they have fiber broadband in every place they go. And already I've, made, I've given you an impersonal illustration, so I've kind of reduced the person of the Holy Spirit to broadband. So please don't take that as definitive. But in a sense, your heart is changed so that you're receptive and the Holy Spirit is with you and in you, speaking you and moving you. But did you notice within the, in the middle of that what he's called, what his name is? It's called the Spirit of Truth. And yet it's the same spirit that brings life. Life and truth go together. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. All these things come together in him or come to us through him or by him. And what does the Holy Spirit do? He will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you does that in a definitive way for the apostles. He gives them a revelation to write scripture and he does that in a continuing way for all Christians. Spirit illuminates scripture. He makes the Bible alive to us. So Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And way and truth and life all go together. We cannot split them apart. We cannot split apart Spirit and truth, because he is the spirit of life and the spirit of truth. Cannot divide them. So whenever we come to the scriptures, remember that it was the spirit who superintend them and cause them to be written, and we require the spirit's work. Cannot come it into a dry English comprehension kind of way, even though English comprehension is important. So every time we come to the scriptures, whether it's in church or in your own devotions or it's the home group, it must be in spirit. It must be praying to the spirit, dependent on the spirit, asking for his help. And those things where we might think there are more in spirit have to be in truth. In our sung worship, the things that we say must be in coherent words and sentences. False words, however great the melodies, however great the songs, are still False. And if that case, and we're singing them lustily, but they're wrong, they're still wrong. It's not the work of the Spirit. Because it cannot be, because he's the Spirit of truth. So, try and sum up. Jesus is the way. In two ways. He's the mentor we follow. He's the, he's the way we walk. And he's the gate through which we enter. He's the way on, on which we walk. This is the way. Jesus is the truth and the life. He's the, our saviour, our ransom price, the one who asks the Father such that the Holy Spirit of truth and life is sent to us. So the amazing truth, just to wrap up with, is, is, is that the Trinity is with you at all times. 
Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Father and Son. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. That's probably the wrong verse. Meant to say he'll be with you and he will be in you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are with you and are in you. Are you ready to walk in this way? In other words, have you entered through this gate? If you haven't, then today is the day to say, this is the way. And if you're a Christian, thank you. Are you ready to walk this way? Are you ready to walk this way of service to one another? Seeing their toenails, making yourself vulnerable to their betrayal and and their stupidity? If you're ready, I shall give you one final opportunity. If you're ready... We say, this is the way. This is the way, way. thank you. Let me pray and then we'll, we'll, we'll sing, I think. Oh, Lord Jesus, we sense your presence with us this morning, and so we should, because Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all with us this morning, and Christ, you are with us and in us. And you are speaking to us through your word. Thank you we've heard your voice speaking your truths. But here's a challenge before us and we want to, we want to walk in it. We want to enter through the gate if we haven't already. <coughs> and we want to... And I pray that you will renew our bravery, our courage to love in the way that you have loved. Picking up the lowly jobs, making ourselves vulnerable. And we do that because that was the route you took to bring us this great salvation. Amen.